the coronavirus happening, things shutting down, everybody's had some kind of experience with what digital ministry is. Yeah, I've run into that here also. I tell people, yeah, I, I, my ministry is sharing the gospel with Jewish people. They're like, oh yeah, I've seen those. I know they're over there in Miami Beach. Mm. They're like, yeah, you've seen those. Those ones you recognize, those are the ultra-Orthodox. But there are many, many more around you who don't look any different than you. But you just don't realize you're walking around, working with, you know, living beside people who probably never really heard an accurate re representation of the gospel. You are listening to the Toe Podcast. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name's Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of serving with Life and Messiah International. And uh, I'm excited for our guest today. Uh, Stephen Cawthon joins us on the Tove Podcast for the first time. Stephen, welcome to the Tove Podcast. Glad to be here. Uh, we are coming to you from the beautiful region of South Florida, uh, where Stephen and his family have made their home. Uh, Stephen, I was wondering if you could let listeners know a little bit about your role with Life and Messiah. Sure. I've been with Life and Messiah for about uh, 18 years. Uh, spent 10 years in Israel doing uh, uh, outreach, working with a local congregation there. Uh, now here in South Florida doing similar things, but also working with the, the digital ministry of Life and Messiah. So we work with uh, our evangelistic website and searchshalom.com where we advertise YouTube videos, we advertise uh, different articles that we produce. We try to get people onto the website to chat with us and have good contact there, as well as managing websites and pretty much anything else digital that's happening. Mm, wonderful. Uh, so we're in South Florida, and uh, I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware, but South Florida has one of the fastest growing Jewish communities in the nation. Is that right? Yeah, so people don't think about it. They usually think of Florida, South Florida specifically, as a, a place for retirement, which there mm -hmm. is quite a bit of this. But when you look at the, the statistics, uh, the only place in the United States with a higher percentage of Jewish people is New York City. Mm. So there's 9% Jewish people overall here, uh, 500,000 Jewish people. Uh, Los Angeles area has a higher number, but far less percentage. So pretty much wherever you go here in South Florida, you're going to run into Jewish people. Interesting. And what is drawing all of the Jewish people to South Florida? <laughs> it's Florida. Come on. <laughs> right? I mean, people come. From, a lot of people come from New York. There are Israelis who come here from, from Israel, and they immigrate, and there's an Israeli community here. It's, uh, it's good weather, you know, a nice place to be. There's opportunities for work, and there's a Jewish community here. For, mm. for Jewish people, it's really important to, to live in a place where there are other Jewish people to support them, especially if they're religious, which isn't the majority here, but those who are religious want that community, especially for they have their grocery stores, the kosher butcher, things like that. Yeah, and what are some of the things that Life and Messiah has done and is doing to reach out to the Jewish community here of South Florida? So obviously there's the face-to-face -face personal evangelism. So that's some of it's through relationships, some of it's through going out on beaches. We've had teams come down and do evangelism with us, going out and on the boardwalk, around the, around the towns, passing out tracts, sharing the gospel with people, to universities. Um, but also, one thing we realize is there, there is a large number of believers in Jesus here, and because the Jewish population is spread around, it means that pretty much everybody who's a believer knows 
a Jewish person who is an unbeliever. Mm. So one of our big strategies has been to equip and train churches and individuals on how they can effectively share the gospel with their Jewish neighbors. Interesting. And when you are able to engage with uh, uh, believers in Jesus from the churches and so forth and the pastors, do they have a desire in your experience? And do they know about the Jewish community? What's, what's the overall feelings? Yeah, for sure. Everybody knows about the Jewish community. It's all around them. And there is, for sure, as well, a desire to share the gospel with the Jewish people, but there's a lack of understanding on how to do that. Mm. Because the traditional, you know, quote-unquote, traditional methods of evangelism don't work as well. Uh, a lot of churches are really focused on getting people into a church to try to, to, to share the gospel with them. And for Jewish people, that's just the last thing in the world they would ever do. Um, it's like one of us, as a believer, just walking into a mosque. I mean, mm. how many times have you done that? It just almost never happens. So for Jewish people, it's especially important. For all people, I think it's important. But for Jewish people, it's especially important that we're going out to them. We're finding ways to reach them outside of the church, develop those relationships, and then be able to understand them culturally. A lot of people don't realize this. They think about Jewish people, and they say, oh, you know, they, they go to the same schools as us. They speak the same language as us. They're, they're just like us. Mm. But it's, it's not true. There's a cultural difference there. There's a cultural historical difference of their relationship with Christianity and so even though we wouldn't identify with a lot of uh, things that have happened in Christian history to them, they identify us with that. Mm. And so there has to be some delicacy there in how you communicate things and how you, how you go forward with sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the makeup of the community of South Florida, is it predominantly religious, secular, in between? Mm, yeah, it's mostly secular here. Uh, so it's, uh, it's funny on the secular side of Ju Jewish people, Judaism, you kind of have this mesh between completely secular, which is all atheist, agnostic, you know, all the way there, or these ones who are kind of toying with a little bit of Jewishness. So the reform or reform light, maybe they go to synagogue once a year, twice a year. They might have Shabbat once in a while. Uh, but the majority of people here are secular. There are a couple of Orthodox communities localized in certain areas, but for the most part, it's, it's very secular. Mm, interesting. I think that's one misconception that a lot of us Gentiles uh, have, especially me growing up in a small town in Indiana, I thought that all Jewish people were religious. They mm -hmm. were studying the Bible all day long, and they were wearing black hats and coats. And then I actually started to meet Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And I realized, yes, that is a segment of the Jewish population, but it's certainly not the largest segment. Yeah, I've run into that here also. I tell people, yeah, I, I, my ministry is sharing the gospel with Jewish people. They're like, oh, yeah, I've seen those. I know they're over there in Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, you've seen those, those ones you recognize, those are the ultra-Orthodox, but there are many, many more around you who don't look any different than you, but you just don't realize you're walking around, working with, you know, living beside people who probably never really heard an accurate re representation of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, interesting fact, I recently heard that Israelis are referring to Miami as the Tel Aviv of America. <laughs> now, why would that be? There's, there's a significant Israeli population here. I don't know how it got started originally, but, I mean, it kind of just grows. As I said, people like communities. So as Israelis come, you know, they, they ask somebody they know, hey, where should I go? And they're like, wow, there's tons of Israelis down in South Florida. So the uh, northern part of Miami, Aventura, Florida, is a big area. There's this really popular Israeli cafe called Aroma in Israel. It's all over the place. We mm -hmm. have one here. There's like two or, two or three, only two or three in the United States. And we have two in South Florida. Wow. So, I mean, this is just a, a hub for Israelis coming here, which is great for my family and I. We have a, we have a real heart for Israelis, but it's also good for us because we can get good Israeli food in <laughs> good the area. Good coffee. Exactly. Yes, indeed. 
Well, let's turn toward digital outreach. Okay. Um, obviously, we believe uh, in relationship building. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all believers, hopefully, believe in sharing the good news uh, with their neighbor or strangers or whoever comes across their path. Mm-hmm. But then we come to the question of digital outreach. And I think a lot of people are wondering, is digital outreach worth the effort? Mm. Is it worth any kind of investment? Mm. Or should we only be doing face-to-face evangelism? Mm -hmm. What's been your experience thus far? So obviously, um, with the coronavirus happening, things shutting down, everybody's had some kind of experience with what digital ministry is. And it's created a lot of pushback from a lot of people like this. This is just terrible, you know, especially with churches online saying, you know, we, we, we have to be there with people. You know, digital ministry is just not good. And a lot of people had poor experiences with social media, which there's good reason for that. <laughs> yeah. But um, the point is that when we think about digital ministry, we're not thinking about it just staying digital. Hmm. Right. So we, we do a lot of things. For instance, we have a video. We have videos that we produce. Uh, one of them that was very popular last year was. Uh, how many mitzvahs make a mensch? Okay, so, you, you might have to explain what that means. Yeah, so a mitzvah is a good deed. Uh, it's a Yiddish word, like a good deed. And a mensch is uh, a, a good person, a righteous person. You know, somebody who's really just, you know, admirable type of person. So basically, how many good deeds make a good person? Mm. So how much good is good enough? Sure. Uh, but in a Jewish context. So last year, we were thinking, okay, we just get people to watch it. You know, let's get people to watch this video and they'll hear the gospel, which is great. But then we realized that's, that's not a good... It's not the final thing for us. We don't just want to just throw the gospel out into the digital realm. We want to have a connection with people. Mm-hmm. So our focus has been uh, this year of not just putting the message out there, but then trying to draw people to our website. When they come to our website and then they're able to chat with us, we've even gotten phone numbers from people and had been able to follow up with them. So that's the ultimate goal. So if digital ministry by itself is the final goal, there's a bit of fault there. But yeah. the, our, our, as you said earlier, we understand that relationship is important. So for us, trying to move people into that relationship is the ultimate goal. Mm, Yeah, wonderful. And so when you say drawing people to the website, is that Life and Messiah website? Is that In Search of Shalom website? Where Mm -hmm. is that? So uh, what we've done is Life and Messiah is we've kind of separated the two sides of our ministry uh, for for believers and educating believers about uh, Jewish ministry and about the Jewish roots of our faith. We have that all centralized on lifeandmessiah.org which is a great place for you guys to visit if you haven't. And Tove Podcast is hosted there. Uh, but for evangelism, we wanted to separate that. For unbelievers, we wanted to have a separate site to where we could just really address the questions they have, which are completely different. Yeah. And so that's insearchofshalom.com. Okay, insearchofshalom.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't visited that site yet, we'd encourage you, as long as you're not driving, uh, <laughs> open your phone, head on over there, or, uh, or get on a computer and check it out. And what will visitors see as soon as they log on to that homepage. So the first thing you see, you see the different articles, latest articles we have, other things. And after about 10 or 15 seconds, there'll be a little window that pops up um, asking, do you have any questions? Do you want to chat with us? Mm. Because that's kind of the thing, the prompt to get people to talk with us as they're looking at the other material. And that's how we get those, that personal contact with people as they come. We're just getting started talking about digital outreach here. When we come back... I want to talk to Stephen about real-life examples of people who have come on the In Search of Shalom website and engaged with our staff in a chat about the gospel. We'll be right back after this. Mm 
Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. I am sitting down in South Florida with Stephen Cawthon, who leads up Life and Messiah's digital outreach efforts. And we are talking about the website In Search of Shalom, which uh, I'd encourage you to visit. It's got some wonderful articles on there. It's got some video testimonials, all geared toward reaching out to our Jewish friends with the good news. Uh, Stephen, I want to talk a little bit about the traction that In Search of Shalom has seen thus far. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned that when somebody comes to the website, a little pop-up window says, hey, would you like to chat about something? And then, uh, now it's my understanding these, this is an anonymous uh, chat, right? We, right. We, we don't know who that person is unless that person reveals to us their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so have we been having many conversations with people that are interested? Yes, we have. Um, yeah, it's very important for us that it's anonymous because we, we're trying to do it in such a shalom, which might seem crazy to some people. We're, we're trying to reach the whole breadth of Jewish people. So yeah. from the ultra-Orthodox through modern orthodox, conservative, reform, secular, agnostic, atheist, like all of them. So we have different <clears throat> we have different campaigns that we run towards different audiences, but at different times. But so especially for those who are more orthodox, modern orthodox, ultra orthodox, they would be very, very hesitant about giving information. Sure. Which is what some people try to do. They try to say, "Hey, leave your email and your name. And we'll get back with you." But that, for, from our perspective, that probably would be not work well because it would just shut down. Mm. So it's completely anonymous. People don't have to give us any information. Uh, they just start chatting with us. And we have seen quite a bit of traction. We've had people, most of our advertising, for obvious reasons, is to the United States and to Israel, right, to the biggest uh, Jewish populations in the world, specifically in the United States, trying to reach areas where there are Jewish people. So when we advertise to Israel, is that sometimes in Hebrew or do enough Israelis speak English? Yeah, so we have a mix. In the beginning, we just started in English, and then uh, because a lot of <clears throat> a lot of Israelis speak English, and we can t- we can market it to people who speak English, um, and then we've also worked with English videos with Hebrew subtitles. Okay. <clears throat> then we're working on trying to get some Hebrew material out to them as well. So we have a whole mix of things going on. Wonderful. So tell us about some of these chats that that we've encountered on the site from seekers. Mm-hmm. So one of the first big encouraging things, as we were still in the learning process uh, last year. We had a lady who came on, and we didn't get any personal information about her, but uh, she was chatting with us, asking us some really good probing questions, You know, some questions I had not really dealt with before, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed digging into it and answering them. And then she came back, and we actually kind of had to piece the puzzle together that it was the same person coming back, because she wasn't giving us her name, and we, didn't have, we don't have any way to really track people like that. Mm. Uh, eventually, she started giving us her name, and altogether, we had like eight or ten conversations with her over a matter of five, six months. Wow. And uh, it was just really amazing to see her, her movement towards the faith and we're just asking really probing questions. And uh, it was extremely encouraging for us. It was yeah. early on when we were, and Central Shalom has been around for a while, but we've really been pushing this past um, two years or so to, to improve what we're doing and find better ways to reach people. And let's just 
talk real quick about why that's so important and uh, really unique that somebody would continue to come back again and again and again for a conversation with a believer in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Could that happen on the street in an Orthodox neighborhood? Yeah, so that's a difficulty. So one one way the outreach that we do, we go out and we pass out tracks and we start talking to somebody. And so if you're if if a, you have a really good day, you know, you have a conversation with somebody and you're you're overjoyed. Mm. But how will they get back in touch with you again? Mm. You know, sometimes people give out phone numbers and cards, which is possible, but then there's that the lack of anonymity. So the fact that the people can come here and give us absolutely come to uh, com, give us absolutely no information about themselves is totally up to them so they feel comfortable you know coming asking their questions without exposing themselves it doesn't matter where they are on the spectrum you know they just kind of they're they're more in a more safe place than we sure. are like we we give our names up front um, so they know who we are and they have some way to identify us but we we leave we leave them their anonymity and it makes them feel more comfortable in a safe place i think this is especially important um, across the broader Jewish community, but especially so among our ultra-Orthodox friends, mm. many of whom have received training that they should not accept any kind of materials mm. from Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they don't even want to be seen talking mm-hmm. to a guy like me or you on the street. Right. And so how are these people supposed to get into a conversation mm-hmm. with a believer in Jesus? And I think In Search of Shalom offers that opportunity. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and it's true because there's a bit of, there's, we, talk, we talk about peer pressure, but in the Orthodox community, there's a lot of community pressure, you know? So if you're there in an Orthodox area, for somebody to stop and talk to you, that means that other people who are around are seeing what's going on, and that could lead to, to negative perception on others about what they're doing, or people th- saying what, they're, they're turning away from the faith, how dare they talk to this person, all kinds of things that come from it. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of different missions that work with insular communities, mm. those who are very protected from outside influence. It's mm. not just Orthodox Judaism. Mm-hmm. It's also certain sects of Islam and other religions. Mm-hmm. And something our listeners might not be aware of is that even by investigating Yeshua, they can be completely cut off from their community. Mm. Their families might disown them, mm-hmm. even for investigating his claims. Yep. And so it makes the anonymity that much more important. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly like that. Um, we had another story of a, a gentleman who came not that long ago, a few months ago, and was chatting with one of our, one of our workers. Um, and then we had some technical problems. He got disconnected, but purposely reconnected to continue the conversation. And it was, uh, I mean, he, we, it's hard to measure sometimes. He was on the Orthodox scale somewhere. Whether he was modern Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox, we didn't know for sure. But by his responses, we could see that he was Orthodox. And... Um, the conversation went fairly well, but it was encouraging for us is a couple of days later, he came back looking to reconnect with the same person he was talking with. And so, uh, again, it's just a reinforcement of that, that it's a place, it's like it's a place permanently there mm. where people can go and chat with anonymity. And so for us, we have a, a pebble in the shoe mentality. Mm. So as we have conversations with people, we're not trying to, you know, work them all the way and say, you know, we need to pray right now to repent and believe in Jesus. That would be great if every <laughs> conversation was like that, but sure. it's not. Yep. Uh, what we try to do is get the gospel message to them and leave a pebble in their shoe. You know, if you've ever had a little rock in your shoe, you walk around, it's driving you crazy all day long. That's kind of what we want to do. We want to leave them with a thought. We want to leave them with a question. We want to leave them with a Bible verse. It's just kind of kind of gnawing on mm. them a little bit because that kind of opens the door that, that God is, can work on them. You know, so as they're thinking about that, God can be speaking directly to them, the Holy Spirit urging their hearts 
to investigate this more. And then when they get to the point where they have more questions or want to talk more, there we are. We're still there waiting to talk to them. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Amen. And then there's another one. So those, those are the those are the positive examples. <laughs> <laughs> there are also not so positive examples. Sure. We get uh, quite a mix of people coming on. There are people who come on and they're not looking for questions. You know, maybe they clicked on our ad, not realizing what it was, or maybe they did realize what it was, but they're angry. And they come on and they curse us out and they call us terrible names mm. and they curse Jesus and it's not pleasant. Uh, sometimes we try to respond to those chats. Uh, depends on where the person is. Sometimes we just we let them rant and then you know move on wherever sure. they're moving on. Sure. But it's it sounds. I mean, it's bad. But at the same time, it's not so bad because one of the difficulties with digital ministry is knowing: Am I reaching my audience? Yeah. So how do you know if you're reaching? So for us, we want to reach Jewish people. How do we know if we're reaching Jewish people, or if it's just blasting out there into the the nether and never hearing anything Yeah, that's again. a great point. It's different from a restaurant, for example, when you can have people coming in the door, you see their faces, you can ask them where they're from. Digital ministry is a completely different uh, beast. Yeah, exactly. So for us, it's the negative things are encouragement because we know we're reaching the right audience. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're telling us, you know, they use Hebrew uh, Hebrew words, you know, you're, you're serving idols and all these kinds of things. So they're angry at us, but we know we're reaching that Jewish community and then we get those others who come in that aren't angry. Yeah. And this is just part of ministry. You know, there are people going to be upset. We, we, we're very sensitive in the way we share. We're very careful not to portray ourselves as something we're not. But at the same time, as we mentioned, the community is very against the gospel and not happy. M- many of them are not happy when we're sharing it, but there are the others who are open to talking. Yeah. yeah. Which the Bible tells us that there's going to be people who reject the gospel for one reason or the other. Mm. And there's going to be a few people who receive the gospel. Exactly. And uh, so we're witnessing that both on the streets in person as well as in the digital realm. Mm -hmm. Uh, In conclusion, Stephen, if folks want to contribute or get involved in some way with this effort of reaching Jewish people around the globe through InSearchOfShalom.com, how can they do so? So obviously one of the best ways is to pray. Uh, it's it's serious ministry that's going on here. You know, there's difficulties. There's all kinds of things, people balancing, trying to find time for this, trying to know on the spot, you know, what can I type? Even difficulties of people not, not being able to type too fast, you yeah. know, and, and slowing down. So there's multiple levels to pray for, but especially for God to bring people to the chats and for us to have wisdom as we're sharing with them and uh, to, to pray for the results from those chats. One of the best ways to be informed and keep informed about In Search of Shalom, what's going on, is to head on over to lifeandmessiah.org, and you can sign up to receive our updates. Hmm. And when you receive Life and Messiah updates, one of the things we talk about periodically is In Search of Shalom. Okay. Uh, and we, we inform you about what's going on. In Search of Shalom itself is just an evangelistic website. We don't send out updates from that. But as lifeandmessiah.org, life you can sign up for updates, and you'll hear about what's going on with digital ministry, with uh, In Search of Shalom, and have prayer requests for that. Another way, uh, and a really great way, actually, is if you have Jewish friends, neighbors, family, whatever, you can recommend the site to them. Recommend that they go and visit InSearchOfShalom.com. Mm. Uh, and they can go, as you, they go there, they'll be able to see what's going on. They have a possibility to chat with us. Maybe you have a specific, you, maybe you go to the site, find a specific video you really like, and then send it to your, your friend, your neighbor, your Jewish friend, yeah. neighbor, whatever, and say, hey, I saw this. It's really cool. What do you think about it? Mm. That's a great way to start a conversation. Not saying, hey, you need to listen to this and f- believe in Jesus, right. but hey, I saw this. What do you think about it? 
and that can open up a conversation as you listen to what they think and you can share what you think. It's a great way to further uh, evangelism by referring it to other people. Mm, maybe get a pebble in their shoe. Exactly. Put yeah. a pebble in their shoe and then lead to more conversations for you personally. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, the translation work, the time, the advertising of In Search of Shalom, the creation of videos and content probably costs money. Yeah. And does. so if folks want to give toward the work of In Search of Shalom, how can they do that? So again, the best way to do that is to visit lifeofmessiah.org. If you go there, you can click on Donate. And then you get multiple ways you can choose to donate and give a gift towards uh, the work that we're doing. And if you go to lifemessiah.org and choose donate, in the designation, if you put in search of shalom wristband. Hmm. In search of shalom wristband. Yep. We will, uh, as you give your gift, after you give your gift, we'll mail you an in search of shalom wristband. Okay. And uh, it's a little tongue-in-cheek saying on there. It says, I found life in Messiah. Sure. And then it has the in search of shalom uh a web address on there. Okay, wonderful. So uh, folks can head on over to lifeandmessiah.org, click on the Donate tab, make sure you designate In Search of Shalom wristband, and uh, that specific donation will go toward the work of com and helping to create all of this content and then getting it out uh, so that that can lead to chats and hopefully people coming to faith. And uh, when you do that, Life and Messiah is happy to send you your very own in Search of Shalom wristband that will hopefully get you into conversations about your relationship with Israel's Messiah as well. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. My pleasure. And uh, if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, head on over to lifeandmessiah.org, click on the Tove Podcast tab, or you can find them anywhere else you get your podcasts. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.